On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we are boarding a jungle cruise to go on a medieval quest of honor. That's right. We saw Jungle Cruise and the Green Knight. Get your popcorn ready. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williams and your very best good movie buddy. And joining us as usual, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's it was exciting to be able to go and see a double feature of two double movies, feature two movies that we both were were excited about and i will say you know we'll get into obviously all the details on both of them but i enjoyed both of them very much so yeah. you know it's always great to not see one good movie but two good movies back yeah. to back it was it was a it was a solid friday afternoon for me i remember we're not going to spend this isn't on our outline but i remember my first double feature if I remember correctly, uh, was a random day where my dad took me to see Executive Decision starring Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal. Nice. And Broken Arrow. Mm. Which is, like, I don't remember how old I was at the time, but that is a dope double feature. Like, I was going to say, that's a, that's a great double feature. It's a great double feature. And, and it, was, it has been a while, I think, since I have done gotten to do a double, I mean, clearly it's been a while since, you know, we've even been able to go to the movie theaters. But since I, we've gotten to do a single day double feature was really fun. And it was really interesting because I do think that we could have gotten two movies further, like apart from themselves on the spectrum. Like mm-hmm. we we could have watched like, you know, uh, a P.T. Anderson movie versus jungle cruise or we could have watched like uh boss uh, baby in the green night or boss baby in the green night but like when you're talking on this on a spectrum of like spectacle you know and like big budget quote-unquote adventure filmmaking this these do truly lie on two ends of the spectrum and they really are i don't want to say the best but really good examples of what pure, fun popcorn cinema can be and artistic filmmaking cinema. Like this is the, when people talk about the difference between movies and cinema, it's these two movies. Um, But yeah, I had a blast with them. So we're going to do things a little bit differently for this episode, just so that we don't go like two hours because we could go two hours on these movies. We are going to talk about the Green Knight. I'm going to guarantee you I'm going to accidentally screw up and call it the Dark Knight. But we are going to talk about the Green Knight first. And we're going to be a little loose with the spoilers. So we'll we'll tell you when we get a little bit more into spoilers. But we're going to get a little bit more loose in the spoilers with our overall conversation with the Green Knight. And then because Jungle Cruise is kind of the more populous film, we're going to talk about that and distinctly separate non-spoilers and then go into spoilers so that those who don't want to get spoiled by anything can uh, uh, can turn it, turn the episode off. But the Green Knight, David, this one, 
you, I think, especially over the years of doing this, have become I've become a little more movie nerd and a little more. Uh, I don't know what the word is. Could you use a word a little more refined, maybe a little more up, your, up, my- up, up your own butt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're, glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> a little, I, I, you know, I I don't I don't dislike the artistic movies as much as I used to, you know. It's true. And, and there are some artistic movies that I just still don't like. Still, just don't work for me, you know, like Boyhood or something. But The Green Knight was something that excited me right away for several different reasons. Number one. It's a medieval fantasy Arthurian legendary tale, right? So Arthurian meaning the king, the realm of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. You give me some King Arthur, I'm going to check it out. Okay. Number two is directed by a guy named David Lowry. Now, a lot of people might not know David Lowry. A lot of people who go to film bar in Phoenix know who David Lowry is. A lot of people on the on the other side of things might not know who David Lowry is. David Lowry is almost like the perfect version of a one for me, one for them guy right now um, Mm -hmm. in that he directs like low, not low budget, but like indie dramas like his his first, I think, feature was Ain't Them Body Saints, which is like the epitome of it's a romantic drama indie. And then right after that, he did Pete's Dragon for Disney, which is, I think, our favorite. I know it's my favorite remake, but it's one of our favorite remakes of all of the remakes and live action reboots they've been doing. Then he does A Ghost Story, which is a supernatural drama, indie drama. Then he does The Old Man and the Gun, which is kind of in, in the middle. It's an indie drama with Robert Redford, you know, whatever. And now he's got The Green Knight. And then his movie after this is Peter Pan and Wendy for Disney again. So this guy, David Lowry, is. He's really good at what he does. I don't want to call him a visionary, but his he, he doesn't really make bad movies, even even if you don't like them, even if they're a little weird or what eccentric or whatever. He doesn't make bad movies. And so he just decided I'm going to I want to make a knight on a quest movie and I want to try and make it on an indie budget. So, like, let's put a knight on a horse and have him go on a quest. Uh, they bring in Dev Patel, who's playing King Arthur's knight, uh, uh, nephew, I think, Gawain. And we got Alicia Vikander. We got Joel Egerton. We got Sean Harris. We got Ralph Niacin. We got. Um, oh man, I just had it up to. Uh, what's her name? Aaron Kellyman, Barry Barry Keegan, like uh, Aaron Kellyman, known from Solo and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Barry Keegan is gonna be in the Eternals. Barry Keegan's the kind of guy who, like, when he shows up in a movie, you're like, oh, it's gonna get it's gonna get wild. <laughs> uh, there's no way this turns out well, and it it it's 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 adapted from this 14th century poem called Gawain and the Green Knight that was, there was one copy of it that was almost destroyed and was saved. No one knows who wrote it, but it is this, as these things tend to happen, it is this legendary tale that finds it's, it's just a story that somebody wrote and they decided to adapt it. And um, 
Now, I know you're a fan of fantasy movies. You, as a matter of fact, uh, retweeted uh, on our Twitter account today the first look at Amazon's Lord of the Rings series as we're recording yep. this. Uh, I know you're big into fantasy, but like, but like, why? Like, what are your feelings on it? What are your feelings on like the fantasy genre? Because there are all types of versions all throughout the the ways. There's cheesy fantasy. There's the sword and the 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 bodice rippers. The guys were like the dudes are just like you know beastmaster. It's like Dolph Lundgren with a sword yeah. or or Arnold without a shirt. There's Willow. There's Lord of the Rings. There's our boy. Uh, Charlie Hunnam in in King Arthur and something 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 I don't even remember the name of the movie <laughs> but like what is fantasy for you you know fantasy movies what does that mean for you well I think I, my mind definitely goes to you know Lord of the Rings King Arthur type of realm which obviously it doesn't have to be those are just two examples it doesn't have to necessarily be you know knights and and magic and and things like that that doesn't necessarily have to be there's lots of different types of fantasy obviously um for me that's where i've always um kind of dwelled and i think the reason that i've always enjoyed them is because it's really hard not to go into one of those and not have like these dip, deep rich worlds and i think that also spells to the ones that are successful versus the ones that kind of miss that mark sure. are the ones that you know develop this world that you want more of that you feel like you can kind of engross yourself in um that you're anxious to learn more about and you know obviously you know the lord of the rings books and the hobbit you know are, are goes without saying have a lot of accolades from a book perspective and just the worlds that they've built and they have their own language and things like that and um when I think movies do a really good job is when they find a way to take all that super nerdy stuff that maybe people would relate to like only people who play like Dungeons and Dragons and, and things like that to, you know, the mainstream and to everybody, things that everybody would enjoy seeing. And uh, I think they also typically do a really good job of you know, advancing characters and developing characters um, through kind of these trials, like even just the story of Lancelot and the story that, you know, we're talking about today with the Green Knight talking about kind of the trials of, of being a knight and just, you know, the opportunities that you have there to develop characters and um, just kind of the escape that it, it takes you out of, um, I think is something that I've always been drawn to. And I've always enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings books. I've always sure. enjoyed you know, anything King Arthur and that kind of stuff. So I think um, there's just a lot of things that probably hit hit me, especially growing up. And I've continued to enjoy throughout the years. Absolutely there. And there are, you know, there are all different kinds of ver there's subsets of fantasy, just like there are sci fi, just like there are action. You know, there are sub genres of it. And this is obviously in that. Arthurian legend subgenre of films. And we're talking about some of these films are pretty uh pretty important, you know, for 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 growing up and whatnot. Like you have Excalibur, which came out in 1981, which was our before our time, but for the longest time was considered like this is the Arthur tale. There was Camelot in 67, but then you had 
first night, which was my, that was for me, the only King Arthur I knew for, I'm like, it's Connery. Connery's King Arthur, you know, the whole time. Uh, you got 2004 King Arthur, which you had Clive Owen, and it tried to make it more realistic. Arthur by way of Gladiator, kind of. You had King Arthur and Legend of the Sword, which is the Guy Ritchie. Still think there's a good movie in there. I still think there's a lot of missed opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, but the funny, I just, I was reading a funny thing about this and that there was a 1984 adaption. And it's just funny, man. In the 70s and the 80s and all that, like they had the poofy hair, the frou frou hair. Also, fe- also featured Sean Connery. He played the Green Knight. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> um, and also completely different from this movie. Yep. And I think this this was a movie that I was really excited for because I just love when you have directors who have been very successful taking on a familiar property or a familiar story. And it's really interesting to see what it looks like through their eyes. You know, it's like when Christopher Nolan wasn't big before he did Batman Begins, but like it's it's kind of that same thing. Uh, Matt Reeves, for example, doing the new Batman movie. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because Matt Reeves is a guy who established himself through, you know, particularly the last couple of Planet of the Apes movies as a really interesting, like big budget blockbuster filmmaker. So see to see Batman in his hands is really interesting. And so for David Lowry, who has done some really fascinating visual work and who did Pete's Dragon for him to take on this mythical story was really exciting for me. And I was getting all hyped and I was reading the reviews and some people are like, you're going to have to watch it a couple of times. As a matter of fact, I think a 24 put out like a three minute video. That's like a history lesson that I think is incredibly valuable because I watched that beforehand and I did not have an issue following this movie. I really, really like this movie because it really is sort of an old fashioned Terrible, you know, I, I've heard some reactions about how, well, the characters aren't really fully fleshed out. And it's it, this movie is not about the, the the characters. It's about the parable. And the and it's about to me, it was an incredibly effective story about what it means to. Earn honor and to live with honor and to act with honor and to maintain that honor in your life. Because you have Gawain and and they, they, they actually made some adjustments to this film to kind of fit that uh, some of the more traditional. And this is where we're going to get a little bit more into spoilers about the story. But some of the more traditional tellings of this story actually reward and 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 treat Gawain at Gar, Garwain. I don't know how to pronounce his name in ye old English. Excuse me. <laughs> actually have him using this mythical cloak to protect him and treating that as if like, Oh, he's outsmarted the green knight. He's so smart. Right. And I love the way that it flips that on, on its side in this movie to make that mythical protective cloak, the actual hindrance, the actual crutch that is preventing him 
from earning that honor that he so desperately wants, but so is so incapable of attaining. Uh, I love this movie, man. I just every it's it's a classic quest. If you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, if you've ever played a video game, it's a quest with multiple stops and multiple obstacles on your quest. And every single one of those quests presents Dev Patel an opportunity to to take a shortcut, to take an easy way, to do it easily, or to put in the work and and do it and and act with honor. And I yeah. just I love that. I was super into it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I well, and I'll say first and foremost, for those of you wondering, this movie is not an action film. <laughs> so it's not no, a movie that you're gonna have all. a you're not going to have a bunch of like there's no sword fights, sword fights and sequences like that. Like that's that's not this movie. No, so, it's, it's literally a guy on a horse. He meets somebody else that somebody like screws with his day in some way, shape or form or presents him with a choice and then he has to meet it. And it's not like you got to fight me or we're going to do an action sequence or there's all this crazy stuff like they really are deep. Like philosophical choices sometimes. Yeah. And I think what I enjoyed about it is, you know, and I can I can see where people may say, like, the characters aren't fleshed out, but there's really only one character that you're focused on in this and that's obviously dev patel's character of uh gawain or gawain or however you want to say it um i can't remember how they pronounced it in the movie but you're following his evolution and you're seeing his evolution from the start when he's you know drunk in what appears to be a brothel um of, yeah. of sorts and not even a night at that point and you see his evolution into you know, changing as a character and even leaving kind of the past behind and evolving. And even as he goes through the different steps along the way, the easier it is for him to, you know, the evolution that you see in him uh, to some degree from the, um, you know, from the first stop to the last stop, it's, it's, right. it's definitely interesting to, to watch and go along with. And uh, I will say, I loved it, but it's definitely like we said from the start, like I think the best encapsulation of this movie to some degree is the fact that on Rotten Tomatoes, it gets a 90% rating from critics with like an average of 8.1 out of 10. Yeah. And on Metacritic, which is typically just provided by polling the audiences, uh -huh. uh, the cine cinema score is a C plus. <laughs> so it's I not. I disagree. I disagree strongly with it as well. Uh, but I think that explains how people's expectations of, of what you see in the trailer of this mm -hmm. night and a quest and Even like the poster, dude, the posters of him holding this big ax, exactly like it's some triumphant moment. And it's really not within the context of the film. Yeah. And so I think if you go in wanting that, if you're like, oh, that looks badass and, you know, there's going to he's got a big axe like I can't wait for him to you yeah. know, fight with it. And that like that's not this movie. And so I completely understand disappointment if that's all you wanted out of this film. But I think if you come in and for me, I kind of obviously we've gone over this exhaustively, but I don't read spoilers. You do read spoilers. Yes, so I yes, had I zero do. expectations of what this story was going to be. Obviously I knew the background um, 
of what I had seen in trailers, but that was pretty much it. I hadn't even read really reviews on it. And so I came kind of with a blank slate and I, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed kind of the, the quest and the, the trip that you take throughout the, the movie. And um, even at the end, when you see kind of that, the big decision, you know, the big climactic event where, you know, he has a true decision that, you know, is potentially life or death and he sees, you know, what could be. It's basically uh, or, like it's like the first 15 minutes of up, but the last 15 minutes of the Green Knight, which exactly <laughs> I, it's this it, somebody I referred to it. I, I saw somebody refer to it as the death of ego sequence. Um, this, There's so we, we really could do a, an episode just on this movie alone because there's just so much to unpack like that sequence alone. Where the movie doesn't tip you off like the, the movie is is all leading up to this moment of Gwen finally confronting the Green Knight and he wimps out and he runs away and he chickens out and this whole sequence of him living his life in this guilt and this shame of this lie and having it destroy and crumble everything around him even though he's achieved everything he wants even though he achieves the notoriety even though he becomes king all of these types of things and then to have it snap back yep I mean, that's just that's brilliant filmmaking, man. Like, yeah, well, and it it gets intense. And I think that's the thing that I think I give credit to, obviously, David Lowry and and the creators of this and the actors and all that is like, while this is absent action and fighting, what we're used to seeing from kind of this this period type of movie, it's not without drama. Like there's plenty of suspense there's you know it's almost it almost has a kind of some thriller type vibes you know that you get from a typical thriller movie where it builds tension in other ways it's not necessarily through fighting or those types of sequences and and so uh i really enjoyed that aspect of it i i will say on that point when you said where he runs away this this contributes to my history with fantasy movies and mm-hmm. particularly King Arthur movies. All I could think about as I was watching that scene, despite the the great music and the drama behind it, all that was in my head was Monty Python, the Sir Robin song about <laughs> Sir Robin bravely running away and and all of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I just I just had such a fun time with it and. You know, I don't know that it's a, a rewatch for me. It's not one that I necessarily think I'll be roaring to go watch four or five times, but uh, I'd definitely give it another go and yeah. and uh, definitely would highly recommend it to anybody that that enjoys these types of films. Uh, there's just so much to unpack. Like, uh, you know, we haven't even talked about the role that uh, Morgan Le Fay, Sarita uh, Cho Dury. I apologize for butchering your name plays Gwen's mother, who is Morgan, Le- Morgan, Morgan Le Fay, who is like a, a mythical, you know, witch, oftentimes the enemy of King Arthur. But in this case, the mother of Gwen and how she like it is allude strongly alluded to that she is responsible for everything in this movie, essentially to kick her son out of his like frat boy, you know, not meeting your potential lifestyle. It's it, you talked about it being a thriller. 
the opening sequence where you're cutting the Christmas party with all the witches doing witchcraft stuff, summoning the Green Knight, like, yeah, that's intense filmmaking. And then later on, when he meets the Lord and the lady and there's the the older woman who's got her head wrapped in the exact same way that his mother had her head wrapped. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that played out as like these are all obstacles that are put in his way and it is even though there's no action sequences in this movie that doesn't make it any less epic there are beautiful gorgeous scenery shots and vistas whether it's you know two characters having conversation as they walk their way through a battlefield that's a huge battlefield they don't show the battle but they show the aftermath or whether it be him standing on a mountain looking at these giants, these literal giants. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, every single point is a point where he can take an easy road or not. You know, he talks to the scavenger and the scavenger's like, oh, I can tell you a shortcut. And so he's like, oh, shortcut. Great. You know, he meets with the spirit and the spirit's like, help me out. And he's like, what's it? What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. You know, he sees the giants and he's like, can I get a ride? Yep. And every single one of those things are a test of his will and 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 his testament. And then just the way that it ends with the, the Green Knight basically making a joke uh, made me laugh. And like you said, I'm definitely going to revisit this movie again. There's no question that I'm going to revisit this movie again. To me, this feels like the time I, I got my family to watch Beasts of the Southern Wild. <laughs> and I and I really hyped that movie up and then it ended and everyone was like, what the hell is that movie even? Yeah, yeah. I get. But I loved it. So, well, and, and to your point about, you know, this truly was, you know, a mother getting her her son out of the house, kicking him, you know, trying to get him to shape his life up. I would say, Rick, you're you're lucky you didn't have similar circumstances for yourself. <laughs> Say sometimes all we need is a quest. That's right. You know? a Mama, Mama Williamson should have uh, put you on a quest years ago. A call to action in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know. I I I think it was. I I thought it was amazing. You know, I I wish, I I wish I had. I was so fortunate to have a quest to motivate me. Um, that last fifteen minutes is dope. That it's just it's it's really really cool. So obviously we like this movie, and as we do with all movies, we have to give it a popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to the podcast before, we do a ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we have our popcorn scale. Burnt popcorn means a movie is trash. It's garbage. Don't waste your time on it. Stale popcorn means a movie is not great. Just like stale popcorn, if you absolutely are desperate, I guess go ahead. But don't pay any money for it because it's it's just not going to be very good. Microwave popcorn is solidly in the middle. It is fine. It is okay. There are some things that are really good. There are some things that are really bad. Your mileage may vary. With microwave popcorn. Movie theater popcorn is you should go out and you should see this movie in a movie theater safely. Um, if you get the opportunity, it's worth the investment of going to see it on a movie theater. Uh, and perfect popcorn is go see this movie on the biggest screen possible. So, David, I'm very interested about this, but what is your 
popcorn rating for the Green Knight? I'm going to I'm going to give it man, maybe I've just been really picky this year, but I'm going to give it movie theater popcorn in a soda. So okay. just just misses that perfect popcorn, but it was a, I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of those movies too, especially if you really like movies and you're especially if you're nerdy about movies to, to some degree. It's one of those that like almost gets better with time. Like the more you're away from it and think back through it mm-hmm. and kind of put the pieces back together. Like, I just think the better it gets. And so that's why, you know, while I said it's not really a hugely rewatchable, like if it's on cable down the road, I'm probably not stopping and sitting and watching it for 45 minutes, but it's definitely one that I wouldn't mind revisiting and just seeing what I missed and, and watching it all unfold again after seeing it the first time. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. I'm going, uh, it's been a while, I think, but I'm going to give the perfect popcorn. Uh, I anticipate this will probably wind up on my best of list, depending on this, how this, how the rest of this year transpires. But I just love that it is epic and yet still beautiful and very quiet, very methodical. I love that it is this this legendary tale that is a really kind of introverted introspective kind of adventure an adventure nonetheless but it's just it's just a really cool movie and it's i think that even if you're the little bit even if you're a little bit curious about it it's worth the investment it's worth taking the time to go to go check out the green knight so green knight absolutely incredible for our first film and then Weirdly enough, my also one of my most anticipated films is the movie that we saw right after a movie that is almost David extracted from my own brain somehow by Disney and turned into a movie. And that is Jungle Cruise. And this is a movie that I think. I think. I've been watching trailers for this movie since 2019. I, I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and rewatch them again. But it feels like I've been waiting for this movie for two years. Like, what about were you waiting for it all the way back in 2004 when they were going to release it, and then 2011 when it was going to be Tom Hanks and Tim Allen? No, I don't actually don't even. <laughs> I actually don't even. I'm not entirely sure I know that. Did you get that off the Wikipedia? Yeah, it was uh, February 2011. Uh, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. It was going to be written by uh, well, Roger Schulman. So okay. it was it was peak of the Toy Story franchise. So they were going to ride the. Uh, I could see it. I could see, you know, it. the Toy Story people. I don't know if it was going to be animated or not, because uh, Schulman obviously was the writer of and developer Shrek. of Shrek. Interesting. And then obviously Tim Allen and Tom Hanks had done Toy Story together. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was going to be live action back then, but 2015 finally got word that we were going to get The Rock. Yes. So, yes. If at I a minimum, it. immediately at that announcement, Rick was in Jungle I, Cruise. I love it. Disney ride adaption, The Rock. I'm in. Gonna, you say no more. Rick's say no in. more. I'm in. Um, and then obviously, like, it's got an incredible cast. You know, you got Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. You got Edgar Ramirez. 
You got Jack Whitehall, Paul Giamatti showing up and, and doing good work for a check. And Jesse Plemons being an absolute lunatic as a German prince. Um, and it was directed by a guy who is like low key, another like really interesting filmmaker in uh, Wam Colette Sarah. And this guy, big Liam Neeson guy, number one. Literally one, two, three, four Liam Neeson action movies under this guy's belt. But he also made two of my favorite thrillers. I don't want to say like ever, but two really solid thrillers. His first movie was the House of Wax remake um, with Chad Michael Murray and Elisha Cuthbert. Shouts out to my girl, Elisha Cuthbert. Uh, and Paris Hilton. That movie is gnarly. That House of Wax movie is dope. Okay, so give if you're in if you're in 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 the mood for a, a solid slasher movie, House of Wax remake, pretty good. But then he also made your girl Blake Lively's shark movie, The Shallows. That's right. Which is like maybe the third best shark movie ever made. It's. It's it's up there. It's up there. I mean, we're not going to talk shark movies, but you got Jaws, obviously. You got Deep Blue Sea. Yep. Shallow's making a strong case for number three, at least top five, if we want to throw out like a 47 meters down or something like that. But regardless. Mm. Yep. Basically handpicked by The Rock to direct this movie and now directing The Rock in uh, DC's Black Adam. Yep. Uh I was just really excited. I was just I, I was really excited because I have always had the idea of Rick's Kilimanjaro Safari movie. Yeah, I one of the I, you're never supposed to put your ideas out in public. Like you're never supposed to tweet your ideas because then somebody's going to actually do it and write it. But when I worked at Disney World, when I did my college internship at Disney World way way long ago, I was one of the drivers. I worked at the Kilimanjaro Safari attraction and I drove the safari trucks and gave the tours and worked at all the positions on, on the safari attraction because there's more than just drivers. You know, you stand at the front of the gate and welcome people in. You load people. There's all types of positions. But I just loved the idea of expanding that ride into a huge safari adventure that is like. Congo and the mummy and all of these advent, you know, Indiana Jones, all of these adventure movies. And I wanted the rock. I was like, the rock's got to be our guy. He's got to be <laughs> our Jack Sparrow. And I'll be damned if they didn't make that movie, <laughs> but they made it with Jungle Cruise. Uh, I still think and I literally I think I read like a Screen Crush article like two days ago. That was like, what other attractions could they be? And they wrote Kilimanjaro is basically my movie in my head. So, you know, it is what it is. Could have been somebody. Um, I could have been a contender, but been a contender. I'm here <laughs> podcasting about it. Um, how did you like the uh, how do you like the ride? You you and I are Disney Disneyland lovers. You yeah. were just you just recently visited the park. I did. And it was still closed because because they're you know, making some adjustments, making some adjustments as well. It's not, you know, the most covid friendly ride too. That's true. Um, packing all those people on the boat. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think for me, you know, I'm I'm 
very much a big fan of puns. Now I can say because I'm a dad, I enjoy dad jokes. Yes. But I'm all I'm all about those. It was always one of those like like uh, uh what do you call it? You know, one of those movies that or one of those rides where it's like you recognize this isn't any this is cheesy. You know, it's one of those indulgences almost for you as far as that goes. And I just always enjoyed like sure lots of people go on they roll their eyes some people laugh some people think it's fun uh some people don't get it but i was always someone who loved it i you know don't get me wrong if it's a two-hour wait i'm not going to wait two hours for it but it was always something that i enjoyed going on spending some time on going through there listening to the jokes so yeah uh, i i have a i have a soft spot for jungle cruise it's always one of my favorites it's a blast it's 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 obviously it's one of the classics and the skipper is more about the ride than the ride itself. You know, mm-hmm. you have you have the traditional animatronics that aren't terribly exciting, but it's just the whole experience. It's one of those one of those few rides and there are a few of them. But I would say like Pirates isn't even this Pirates of the Caribbean isn't even this, but it is a full experience between the attraction itself, the ride vehicle, the tour guide. You know, uh, Haunted Mansion is pretty close to this because the Haunted Mansion staff, uh, cast members are, are really into it and really fun with it. But it mm. is a full experience attraction that is unlike many of the other attractions at Disney World. So it's uh, certainly one of my favorites. Also, the fact that it's not a throw ride like, cool, I'm going to just chill and sit on this boat for like eight minutes mm-hmm. and relax and go on a nice boat ride. Great time. And um, I just, I just, it, 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 this movie managed to play homage to a lot of those things in, in some ways, a lot of the, the ride aspects itself in some ways and pay homage to the ride in other ways. Like it just, this is such a meta movie, but on, on really different levels that I found to be really creative. Um, and the, I mean, we listed off the cast. Cast is pretty amazing. It is. It's stacked. I mean, I think, first off, I think it obviously all hinges a lot on The Rock and Emily Blunt. And and I would say, you know, typically in a, in a, uh, in a Rock movie, a Dwayne Johnson movie, it, it is all about him. But I would mm-hmm. say, to a large degree, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of line to say that Emily Blunt one holds her own very well, but also this movie is pretty pretty split between the two of them. I would you yeah. could even argue potentially that it's more an Emily Blunt movie than a, than a Dwayne Johnson movie. But I thought they were great together. I thought there was good chemistry with them um, in a way that fit the story that we were telling. Yep. Like. I don't know if they meant for it to be more romantic than it was, but like for me, it, it kind of fit what I expected from a jungle cruise movie. Like I don't expect like, while there's definitely some things that you could, uh, you could tie together with it. I don't expect like romancing the stone here. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I thought really there was some great, I thought Jack Whitewall, Whitehall was really good in his character. He's funny. He's really good. 
great in that position. I mean, it's a it's a classic role, obviously, in these types of movies, but he does a great job at it, I thought. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Plemons is weird in Love everything it. that Jesse Plemons is fantastic at. Like God bless Jesse Plemons so much. He's amazing. And he's playing the he's not it's World War One. So I don't think he's we can't call him a Nazi, but he definitely would be. Yes. And yeah. he's like this Archduke, not Archduke Ferdinand, because that's span that's Spanish, but he's like this Prince Archduke who's got a submarine in the Amazon. Yeah. Which is just like one of those things where it's just like it feels like the perfect type of escalation from ride to movie. Sure. Know? It's like when the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are like, we're going to have zombie pirates. And yeah. It's like, well, that's kind I mean, there weren't really zombie, but there were skeletons. There weren't really zombie pirates. But like, I can see where you would would naturally get zombie pirates like the the submarine is dope. Um, I'll tell you, I really liked one of the one of the movies weirdly that this Jungle Cruise movie owes a lot to not weirdly, I guess it was it was 20 plus years ago, but it's the it's the mummy with Brendan Fraser. That's the that's the the trio, the same type of relation, almost literally the same type of relationship that the main trio have in this movie. Right. You have the educated and adventurous lady. Uh, You have the kind of jaded soldier of fortune romantic lead and then you have the bumbling brother and they literally did that in the mummy and it worked out great and they did it here and it worked out great and it's like just you know if it works do it you know um but yeah man i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the action i thought that there were i i i i venture to say there were more sets that I actually anticipated because the trailer looked an awful lot like there's a lot of CGI happening and make no mistake. There is a lot of CGI in this movie as just, I mean, it is what it is. You know, this movie is very closely hewing to the pirates of the Caribbean format, but much like that movie, there is a lot of, of physical sets. There is a lot of real tangible world um, that I, just I had a lot of fun with, you know, I had a lot of fun with the characters living in that world. I honestly, I, it was less about the action set pieces to me. Cause there's really kind of like three that stick out to me in the whole film in terms of action set pieces, but just seeing the characters interact and stuff. Like I, I, I had a good time with it. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I think one of the things, obviously, we mentioned how the the ride itself is closed down right now, or was closed down. I, I think, think it, it might just have just re- again, it yeah. just reopened. Um, probably not unrelated to the fact that the movie just opened, but <laughs> I think you know, I think a lot of people expected, especially in this day and age, and we won't go down this rabbit hole of like cancel culture and those types of things like that, like this movie and probably the ride. And I don't know what changes they've made to the ride. I haven't looked up that. You probably know that, but that it would just like edit out those things that were borderline acceptable, (laughs) if not, or even on the range of like, just not okay anymore. And I liked how this movie, rather than like 
editing them out and just kind of omitting them from Mm -hmm. the movie they subverted kind of your expectations and the things that were kind of wrong with it even like um you know some of the things uh you have like the cannibals and and different things like that which right we can talk more in the spoilers not that it's a huge spoiler for it but no but like trader sam is in this movie and the quote-unquote cannibal natives yeah are in this movie but they are in it creatively yeah exactly and so i really liked and i thought it was also pretty cool obviously some of it is done in a really meta way where it's literally the rock giving a jungle cruise and doing lots of the puns and the things that you're used to great it was all so much fun but even the things that they didn't include in that i found it really cool how they like like honestly i can't think of a single thing from the ride experience of the ride jungle cruise that didn't somehow get some kind of nod or homage given to them throughout this film which i think is pretty impressive for it not to feel like hokey to some degree Mm -hmm. and still naturally kind of incorporate like literally every piece of that ride into it well here's the interesting thing and this may be more of a spoiler conversation but i will say i'll actually I'll, I'll push back on your comment just it, it, for a little bit, which is to say that this movie is set in South America. Okay. Sure. Not that, that means, Anaheim, not Anaheim, but th- if you remember the jungle cruise actually takes you through all types of places, whether it be South America, whether it be denial or whatever, And the Jungle Cruise itself has a lot of African animals, has a lot of hippopotamus, has rhinoceros, has lions, elephants. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that those animals are do not exist in South America. And yet that poses a lot of sequel opportunity. So who knows? But I I will also push back and say that all of those are still almost all of those are still present in this movie in different ways. Yes. In different ways. Yes. There's, there's some really clever stuff. There's, and and you know what, I guess we're going to have to talk about it in spoilers. Yep. And so, but in order to do that, we have to give our popcorn ratings for jungle cruise. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn. Uh Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. So David, as always, I will defer to you first. We already went through our popcorn ratings and what they mean previously. For you, what's your popcorn rating for Jungle Cruise? Man, I don't know if I'm just reluctant to give perfect popcorn this year, but... Uh, Got you. Your just standards like, went higher. I, I guess. I guess quarantine and, and not having movies <laughs> uh, just made me reluctant to Maybe. some degree. Maybe. You know what? Forget it. I'm just going to give it perfect popcorn. I there really enjoyed it. Do I, it. There's not a whole lot that I would change. I think, and this comes to, I think, too, like the way I typically rate movies somewhat incorporates fair or not like my expectations of it. And I really didn't have a whole lot of expectations, but like for a m- movie that is adapted from a ride, similar like when I went into Pirates of the Caribbean the first time. Sure. Like, your expectations are pretty limited because you're like, 
how are you making a movie off of this? Like, right. how are you making a movie off of a 10, you know, 10 minute ride where a skipper cracks jokes the whole time? Like, right. how is this going to be a two hour movie? And so like expectations wise, like you, you go a little bit more like Haunted Mansion or things like that, where it's going to be a little bit more hokey and country um, bears, Ugh. country bears, that kind of stuff. Just not good. And I thought it did a really good job. I thought, you know, similar to, I don't think it was quite the spectacle and quite the achievement that that Pirates was when I saw it the first time, but it's not that far off. So I, I really enjoyed it. I'll give it perfect popcorn. I think we're going to it's going to be weird to flip spots here, but I'm giving it movie theater popcorn and a soda. And. I it's, it's it attributes to your evolution as a moviegoer. You're I, becoming that dude that's up his own butt. And, I'm that guy. And an elitist that once is art art films and that. And now now you're you're giving movies with the rock in yeah. a Disney ride. Yep. You won't even give it perfect popcorn. Can't give it perfect popcorn. I'll tell you why I'm not going to give it perfect popcorn. It's because as much fun as I had with this movie, as much as I like the music and the acting and the performances and the movie overall, it doesn't really do anything new, even though it does it well. Everything it does has been done before, whether it be in Pirates or The Mummy or Indiana Jones or Romancing the Stone or African Queen or whatever, right? And that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie, okay? It's not. It's a very enjoyable movie that I think belongs right up there with the rest of those movies. But it's just that little that little itch in the back of my head. I just can't, you know, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't stop it. I can't turn it off. But regardless, like, go out and see The Jungle Cruise as, as fast as you can. Go out and do a double feature, The Green Knight and Jungle Cruise like we did. Double green, jungle's green, the night's green. A lot of nature theming in there. But yeah, I'm going to give it Movie popcorn and a or movie theater popcorn and a soda. But I do want to talk spoilers because there's some really cool things to talk about. Before we do that, though, we're going to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least... You can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, we're back. Let's talk spoilers, Jungle Cruise. I don't even know where to begin, honestly. I think I really loved, you know, we were alluding to it in the, non, in the non-spoiler part of things, but I really loved how The Rock started this movie giving like the jungle cruise like the cheesy fake 
Jungle Cruise where it's like there's a fake snake hanging in the tree. There's a fake hippo coming out of the ground. There's uh, the, the, the tribesmen shooting darts at us that are fake. Like, I really appreciated that. And I appreciated all the, the jokes and stuff. Like, that's how they got half of the stuff you were talking about in the movie. Because there, yeah. no, there ain't no, I don't believe there's hippos in South America. I could be wrong. There's the cocaine hippos <laughs> that, uh, that I think they're making a movie about. Which, by the way, if you're still listening, you should look up the cocaine hippos of South America. Because it's an incredible story. Um, but I loved how they did that. And then I loved how they layered things in as well. Like, I loved how they said that this is like Dr. Albert Falls. You know, where that was just like a joke about, you know, oh, it's Schweizer Falls named after Dr. Albert Falls, not anybody named Schweizer, which was uh, cool to see Albert Falls needle drop in there, name drop in there. Um, the uh, uh, the Jaguar Proxima, who they they have a bit in the Jungle Cruise where they're like, oh, the, or, or is that a tiger? I think there's both. I think there's a Jaguar and a tiger. I don't know. I'd have to I gotta have to rewrite the jungle cruise again, honestly. But like I know that there are no elephants, there were no monkeys or gorillas. There were monkeys in the cages, but there were no monkeys like in the jungle. There was no rhinoceros, you know, trying to, you know, poke people as they're climbing up a tree. There was no, you know, sleeping zebra and lions, because those are all in Africa. And I was kind of like. The way they ended this movie is they're off in London, but there ain't nothing saying that they can't go get a new boat. And the next movie is they're going to be down, going down the Nile on a different jungle cruise. You know, sure. That's what I thought anyway. Um, but what were some of your favorite parts about the movie? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I enjoyed I thought, you know, The Rock did a did a great job of uh, delivering the puns and, uh, you know, being that that skipper from that degree and, and kind of injecting those throughout it. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the action of it. And, you know, there was a lot of, and, and to your point, you know, when we, we gave our movie ratings and, and you mentioned, you know, how this doesn't do anything new. Um, I would agree with that, but I would also say it does things that have been done really well and in a fun way. And so um, whether it be, you know, the different escapes and the, you know, kind of things that we have, you know, the Emily Bunt through the city, you know, mm -hmm. reminds you at times of, you know, Jack Sparrow going through, you know, the city and things like that. And there's aspects of, you know, Indiana Jones there and that, but I think it's, it's really hard when you're doing an adventure film and if you're doing it well, like, listen, like Indiana Jones is, is kind of the bar <laughs> when it comes to it. And so if you do it well, everything's going to have some tie-ins and some feelings towards towards that type of movie so i enjoyed that i thought the thing that was a fun dynamic was uh plemons and and what he brought because if you think of you know movies in the past typically those bad guys are you know more over the top like bad you know more serious sort of straight guy like think right. of uh what is it is it tavington um in uh pirates who's the what am I thinking of? Norrington. Who's the British Norrington? Or I mean, there are so many British uppity British assholes. In well, you know the the main one who's who's hunting Jack the whole time. Um, yeah. 
but anyways, like typically you're used to like those types or obviously the Nazis and Indiana Jones and things like that. You're listening, used to kind of more of that serious. And he, while he's serious, he's he also a me, lunatic. He's also a lunatic. He's more, he's kind of in that, uh, Christoph Waltz vibes. It's like they told Jesse Plemons to like do like a Disney PG 13 version of Christoph Waltz in, uh, <laughs> Kinda, yeah. He's in Inglorious Bastards. He's doing Christoph Waltz. He's doing a little bit of Werner Herzog. Yeah. For for those of you who don't know Werner Herzog, he played the uh, the original client in the first season of Mandalorian. I can't believe that's the reference to Werner Herzog. I have to make, but like, he's a <laughs> he's kind of a renowned director. He's a kind of a well known lunatic, and he has a very specific speaking voice, a very specific German voice. I wish to see the baby. <laughs> And like Jesse Plemons is like, screw it, man. I'm doing Werner Herzog by way of Christoph Waltz. I am going mad for it. And I love it. I love that he's in it. I also need to give a shout out to my undead elemental conquistadors because those guys are dope. And even though there were times where they're moving so fast that it just looks like CGI. I still thought they were really cool. And obviously that's a play on like all of the different, it's basically the next evolutionary step of all of the supernatural, the different types of supernatural pirates that were in the pirates of the Caribbean movies. Cause like, if you think about the evolution of those movies, it started out with zombie pirates and then it had fish ocean creature pirates and then it had, well, still had fish ocean creature pirates. And then it had, I don't remember who was in the fourth, but like mermaids, I guess evil mermaids and Blackbeard. And then in the fifth, they had actual ghost pirates. This is just the next step where it's like, okay, we're going to do conquistadors, except they're going to have been trapped in the jungle for 400 years and their bodies will have become in, in, imbued with the jungle because of it. So you got uh, a guy who's like all trees and can like go in the trees and become branches. You got one guy who's just mud who can just turn into like this mud golem and mud monster. You got the one who I thought was getting the most screen time, who was the honey and bees and the honeycomb guy who is basically made out of bees. And then you got Edgar Ramirez as Aguirre, which was also Aguirre was the name of a title character in a Werner Herzog movie and a famous conquistador. So like they know what they're doing. Like you don't, you don't do what Jesse Plemons does. You don't name a conquistador Aguirre without knowing what you're doing. And he's like, He's snake man. He's got all the snakes. He's, he can turn into snakes. He's got snakes coming out of his cheeks and stuff. Um, and I kind of like that they didn't fully kill them. You know, they just trapped them in the curse uh, of, of not being near the, the, the Nile or I'm sorry, the river. And so therefore they turned to stone. Uh, interesting. just some interesting stuff that they're doing that I, I really appreciated it. And then the biggest one, which I actually thought was pretty ballsy for a twist, but The Rock is basically an immortal conquistador 
his character, Frank, is revealed to be Francisco, who was a member of the Conquistador party and was cursed with them. Very similar to the way Jack Sparrow was cursed with the with the pirates and became like a, a zombie pirate at the end for a little bit. And I thought that reveal was actually really well done because there's a moment where he's stabbed and killed, basically. And I was kind of like, oh, they're going to they're going to use the flower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, they're just like, oh, no, be, by the way, he's an undead conquistador. And the way that he tied in the fact that, like, he was the one who drew the maps. He was the one that charted the, the rivers and stuff like that. I thought it was really cool. Like, I just thought it was really creative ways of telling that story. Um, Yeah, man, I just really enjoyed it. I love the the reveal that Proxima was a pet. And I thought that was kind of genius. Like Disneyfication of of it all. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I I, I, I really. What are your thoughts on our boy? Paul Giamatti coming in, coming in hot. Cash that check, Paul. Cash the check. Making the making the most of his probably about seven minutes on screen. Somebody is like Wallet. Somebody asked on Twitter, why is Paul Giamatti in this movie? And I have two answers to that. Number one, shut up. Because <sighs> you I, I all due respect. Paul Giamatti doesn't need to be a reason to be in any movie. He can just show up. Oh, oh Paul Giamatti's in Spider-Man playing Rhino. Awesome. Don't care. Paul Giamatti's playing this accountant dude in Gunpowder Milkshake. Cool. Don't care. Paul Giamatti shows up as Neo Nemolato, who is this uh, like deeply Italian crusty harbor master. I don't care. Like I'm I'm in on it. And I liked that it just showed like you need those types of characters. Those are archetypes like you need a character that is a low level antagonist for our hero to show that they have wit and guile and something to overcome. Right. It's similar to the way um, Brendan Fraser needed that, like the prison guard who eventually like was a part of their crew. Like you need a low level antagonist to show that you have a capable hero. Like that's just how these movies work. But I would also argue with the general kind of mood or you know vibe of this movie like you need especially when you got someone like the rock on the other end you need a larger than life over the top like that's why plemons works so well in this that's why you know some of the cgi stuff works really well in it like we're going for it in this entire movie entire movie if you get some no name to just play that role and it's more played more subdued and not as loud and all that like it's not going to fit like it's gonna you're gonna it's gonna be forgettable right to to that degree and this made it memorable it made it fun it's not like you were really worried about paul giamatti in this movie and it just to me it fit with like this is a disney movie it's on one of the rides we're going larger than life in it and so that's why I think you get Paul Giamatti for that. And, you know, if he's willing to cash the check, then, then let's do it. Here's I'm going to bring up one controversial thing as we wrap up here. Oh, joy. Way to end it on a downer. I love The Rock. 
I love The Rock. I'm Uh-oh. I'm I'm gonna establish. I'm gonna set. I'm gonna volunteer for his pres- his future presidential campaign. But The Rock is such a monster of a human being that similarly to like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Vin Diesel, I can never take them seriously as a romantic lead. And I don't know if that's a me problem. It's probably a me problem. But I just thought it was funny where like I I read some review that was like angry that the movie wasn't more aggressively like of a love story. Like literally the quote in the review was like, the Emily Blunt's character and Dwayne Johnson's character didn't want to bang enough. And I'm like, that's a weird take. That's a real weird take. And yet I get it. It's a very Disneyfied romance. You know, it's a very, there's not much romance until the end when they finally share a kiss. I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the way that I look at the rock. Maybe it's the wrestling. Maybe it's my relationship to him as a fan. But like, I just don't ever see The Rock as a romantic lead. And I wonder if I'm a weirdo for that. No, I would agree. And I think here's the thing, too, is like. When you go into this realm, it's hard not to go directly to some of its predecessors and the other movies like. Like uh, like Brendan Fraser, I get. Well, and like Harrison Ford, when Harrison Ford did Indiana Jones, that was like peak Ford as far as like yeah, sex appeal it. like with the ladies all that kind of thing. they're all right and they're all they are all I, I don't know man maybe it's because they're regular dudes and the rock is is literally just like a a, a god like a, a just maybe it's the muscles thing I don't know but yeah it's weird it I don't know I feel a little weird I, I don't I don't think it's his I don't think it's his wheelhouse and that's where I think this movie like I didn't nece- I didn't find myself like wanting it. Like I enjoyed their chemistry from like their banter and back and forth. Right. And like I was okay that it wasn't like going too much into being like a rom com type of oh, vibe yeah. in it. Like I was perfectly fine with that. Like I could definitely see where someone was like these two like don't have that like sexual tension or uh-huh. that. But like it's also a Disney movie called the jungle cruise like i don't have to have orlando bloom and kira knightley type of stuff and and even that you know to some degree worked in varying <laughs> levels of success yeah, so i wonder what it was because like he's played like he's married to nev campbell and skyscraper and they got kids i don't have a problem with that i know i think that's the problem is like you can envision him as a protective father you can't really envision him as like a new love, like a, like a heart throb, like, you know, like that type of thing. Like he's, that's not him. Like you needed, you need Rocky, Rocky McAvia, you know, yeah. from the, <laughs> yeah, the old yeah. days, young rock, you need young, young, young rock. rock. But if you want to go that realm, that's, I don't know, man. Like, it's just a weird thing that I, I don't know. It, it's just like, eh, I, I'm fine with it. But I didn't I didn't I also think like I also think love stories require some sort of vulnerability and you don't get vulnerability from the rock in movies. Not 
not that he couldn't potentially play that, but like physically, he doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Confidence wise, doesn't have any vulnerabilities. So it's like, there's no like vibe. Like I think in every like love story or things like that, like there's usually like a missing piece or like, and even, and even, and even in this movie, like it wasn't like Emily Blunt's character was filling some missing piece other than literally freeing him from his curse yeah, like and they, well and they have great chemistry like their back and forth is great yeah and like the whole line that they tried to play throughout the movie was just like find someone worth living for like yeah find your world i guess yeah like this she's you know worth living for type yeah. of thing versus worth dying for you know like that type of thing and like that's fine but like this movie wasn't about that and i no. think whether it was a decision by the creators to recognize that like that's not the rock's lane and let's lean into everything else and make this just lots of fun Mm -hmm. or whether it was you know realizing it as you get into it like what you have and what you don't have regardless to me it didn't take away from the movie and like i for one am fine you know if we don't have you know that cliche over the top love story like i'm okay with that like i, I don't need another orlando bloom and Kira knightley in one of these yeah i'm fine with it well that being said i'm still in on a sequel like without question i'm in sign how me many if, me if you were to if you were to go on the record right now and say because i'll be honest if i was to go on the record back in whenever pirates of the caribbean came out yes I would not have predicted we'd get as many of those movies as what we got. Because we got five of them. Yes. I predict three. Three Jungle Cruises? You're going trilogy? I predict two sequels. And even then, I'm a little little tenuous on it. Because number one, we're still not in full box office mode again. You know? Like, we got to deal with this freaking Delta variant now. And we got to deal with the... Don't get me started, but now things are starting to become questionable suddenly again. And this movie pulled in $35 million its opening weekend. That's not bad. Okay. Is that a franchise starter? Will it have legs? What what were the what was the money on Disney Plus? What's the money for? And there's a lot of questions out there as to whether or not this made the money. The Rock has already come out, literally came out uh this last month i think and said we're we're gonna try making a sequel like he literally said discussions are underway to make a sequel and i think things work in trilogies especially ip like this um so i would anticipate a jungle cruise 2 and a jungle cruise 3 tap off the trilogy cap it right there and then maybe if we get a jungle cruise 4 it's new. We got new blood. It's going to sure. be new. We're going to bring in. Uh, <laughs> we're going to bring in the new generation. You know, I don't know. Maybe well, we'll bring, maybe we'll bring in John Cena for it. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I would I would agree with you. I think there's two factors. One, you know, if your prediction's right, The Rock will be president, so he won't have time for. Uh, this is true. For filming uh, anything more than a couple more. But also, I think, you know, you have someone like Emily Blunt, which she's not 
quite to that degree where it's like she's not going to do you know get stuck to a fr- franchise i don't think but she also doesn't have any history of that like she's done big you know she did mary poppins obviously and things like that so like right. she'll do these big movies but she also hasn't like hitched totally into like a, a series or a franchise or things like that quite exactly. as much no um, she's never Aside from The Quiet Place 2, I don't think she's done a sequel. Well, that's not fair because she did show up in the sequel to the Snow White and the Huntsman, but she wasn't in the original. Sure. And I think the other thing with The Rock is he has so much going on. Like the argument for him doing multiple sequels would be he I mean, it came out like you saw in all the lead up, like he had a true like passion for Uh the Jungle Cruise and the ride and that. And listen, he's a smart businessman. If it's blowing up like Pirates of Caribbean blew up, then he's going to probably keep doing them. Absolutely. But at the same time, like dude's got like 1700 things going on. So like he's probably got the next franchise. I mean, he's going to be Black Adam. How many movies is he going to have to do for that? You know, things like that. And so I think there's just so much going on. The odds kind of stack up against there being more than maybe one or two more. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, it doesn't feel like we get anything less than trilogies these days. So I think three is probably the right bet. Yeah, it's either a trilogy or it's an ongoing like saga. You know, so and this is that's not what this type. This isn't an MCU movie. This isn't a Star Wars movie. This isn't a DC movie. It's not a superhero movie. It's not multiple chapters of a story revisiting the same characters like these characters have a beginning and a middle and an end. And at some point we'll get to it, but I'll be there for it, man. Sign me up. I think that pretty much does it. I think that uh, this all oh, dude next week. Before we go, before I even mention next week and before we go, I want to remind you all that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet delivered to you just by hitting that subscribe button, hitting that follow button, wherever you listen to podcasts, take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to the popcorn or by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of an independent film podcast when film desperately needs your support. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, We don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with a DC movie, the suicide squad, another good movie on the popcorn diet. Adios.